welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church. Excited to be with you. It's an honor and privilege uh, to be at this pulpit and to preach God's word this morning. We love Southcrest. My wife and I and our our young baby, she doesn't know it yet, but she's going to love Southcrest one day too. Uh, But since we have been here almost three years now, we have been repeating Psalm 118.23, which says, this is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. What is happening here at Southcrest is marvelous in our eyes, and it's the Lord's doing. And we're grateful for it. We're grateful to be a part of this body. It has changed our life in so many great ways. And it's an honor to to be on staff of this church, to be one of the pastors. I spend uh, most of my time, most of my responsibility here is with the 7th through 12th graders um, and really trying to help them navigate life some. And really we point them to own their faith in Jesus, that it wouldn't be their parents' faith, but it'd be theirs, and to help them find their greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus, not just in the current situation that they are, but for years to come, for the rest of of their life. And so we love being here and being a part of this church. And I'd love to pray for us and ask the Lord's help and blessing before we dive into the scripture together. Let's pray. God, we love you. And God, we are grateful that you loved us first in a greater way that we could ever think or imagine the love that you have for your people. And God, in your love letter to us as we study it this morning, We pray that you would use it in a mighty and powerful way as you always do. God, that from your scripture and the teaching of it, that you would change lives, that you would convict hearts, that you would move people into a deeper relationship with you. And if you'd be willing, wherever you are, if you're watching online, if you're here in this room, if you would take a moment to just pray and ask God to remove any distraction from your life, that he would speak to you this morning. If you'd also pray for me, that God would use me and that I would be helpful this morning. Well, God, we love you and we trust you. Would you speak to us now? It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. In the second and third century, there is a movement of a group of people known as the Way. And this movement of people began to explode. And it happened in the Roman Empire, which was really the most unlikely of places for this to take place. See, this group of people, they were persecuted for what they believed, for the person that they followed. And in the Roman Empire, really the mindset in view was it would be shameful, a failure, and a disgrace of life if you were to care for other people if you were to focus on anyone other than yourself. And so these people began to live lives that were very counter to the culture that they were living in. They were beginning to leverage their lives for the sake of others. 
And you could argue the reason that we are all here this morning, the reason that we're in this church building and that there's other believers gathered throughout this community of Lubbock has a lot to do with these early believers and the faith and who they had it in. And so this morning, as we head to the scriptures, we're going to look at who was at the front of this movement. And why would anyone say, I want to be a part of that? If you have your Bible, as Pastor David said, we're continuing in the book of Philippians this morning. We're in chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to start in verse 5 in just a moment. For me personally, this has been one of the most life-changing passages of Scripture. Uh, that I realized years ago, the life that I was living, I was I'd already trusted in Jesus, but God used this scripture to turn me into someone that like hopefully looks a little bit more like Jesus, that I had trusted in him, but wasn't following him. And this scripture pointed me back to the God that I loved. And so years ago, I studied it and memorized it in the ESV. And that's what I'm going to teach from this morning. I know all of us have different translations, but I hope this one will be helpful. Starting in verse 5, Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Paul begins by saying that we need to have a mind or a attitude or a mindset among us. And what this does is it points us back to the scriptures we looked at last week, the few verses, uh, really verse three and four. This is the mind that Paul is talking about. If you're in verse three, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. This is doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. This is the mindset or the attitude of Christ that Paul is calling all of us believers to model and to live out. You could even say it's a command for us to live. And so what Paul's doing here is he's doing what many pastors now do. And Pastor David's the the king of this, is he's stating a point and then he's going to illustrate it with a story. And the story that he's going to use or the example is the life of Jesus. So you want to catch this. This is the calling of do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit and seek the interest of others before yourself. Now, here is the example that you're to follow. Verse six is to model the life of Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. If you're taking notes this morning, our first point is that Jesus did not use his power for his own gain. Jesus did not use his power, or you could say his authority, for his own gain. The word form here uh, does not mean that Jesus was like God, It means he was the very form of God, that he always was and always will be God. This truth is massive to our theology, or the scriptures would speak to this idea of our Christology. Like, what is your understanding of Christ? Hebrews 1 says this, says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And Paul goes on in the scripture we're looking at, he says, Jesus did not account equality or being equal with God as a thing to be grasped. 
In other words, he didn't hold on to it. It wasn't that he was reaching for it. He had it. And so anytime you see the phrase to be grasped in the Greek, it's referring to someone who had something, but didn't use it for their own gain or didn't use it to exploit others because of it. And so the point that Paul is trying to get across to all of us is that Jesus did not see all of his privilege, all of his power, all of his authority, all of the benefits of being God as something to use against other people, something to use for his own gain. Jesus could have used his privilege to dominate. He could have used his power to call other people to serve him, but he didn't live that way. And so this applies to all of us because as sinful and broken people, all of us have a tendency to want other people to serve us, right? That we would live with the mindset of we want more power, we want more authority, we want our time and the things that God has given us, we would leverage those things at the cost of anyone, right? That we would get more and more. And so for many of us, we might leverage our money, that it doesn't matter who gets in the way or what cost it would be, that we just want more money. And so we would use that for our own gain or success. It might be comfort, right? That you would just want a comfortable life. And so you are going to use that desire to push other people out of your way. And so maybe the question for for you and for me is what are the things that you feel like make you special or different than other people that you're holding on to, that you're gripped tightly? Is that the money in your bank account? Is that a job title or a certain status you have? Is that a relationship? Is there a sense of security or comfort that you're holding on to? In the Roman Empire, the focus was solely on yourself. They didn't have a word for humility. This attitude that the early believers were living with, it shocked them because their mindset was, hey, you, you do anything you can to be successful at the cost of anyone. You push them down, you, you throw them away, you don't focus on other people's needs. And I think today, if we're not careful, we can respond the same way, that our, our world looks a lot like this, right? That you would leverage what you have for your gain or your success. And so if anyone had permission to use the power that he had to put other people's down, to, to be more successful, to say, I'm too good for that, or I don't have time for you. If anyone could have done that, it would have been Jesus. And he could have lived that way if he chose to. And since he didn't live that way, that means that none of us have permission to live that way either. Now, none of us have to, uh, that can live with the mindset of we are too good for other people. And so the truth of this is you will either leverage your life for the good of other people or you will leverage it for yourself of who is your focus and your mindset. What we see in this scripture is that Jesus was high and mighty. He was next to God the Father and he is going to be go lower and lower. So much to the point where it would describe him as a servant. And this is what verse 7 says. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of 
of men. The second point is that Jesus became a servant for our good. And so in the NIV translation, when it says he uh, emptied himself, it's, the NIV says he became nothing. Right? Jesus leaves the highest place with God the Father, and he emptied himself, how? By becoming one of us. That he would become a man. He took on flesh. This speaks to this idea that he uh, emptied himself of all of the privileges of being God. And he dwelt among the people. And so what this means is that Jesus had to deal with the issues of the world that we have to deal with. And to say it bluntly, he had to deal with other people, right? And so uh, Jesus had to deal with a jealous sibling. He had to deal with the natural way of growing up and puberty or having acne or pimples, right? He had to deal with middle school drama of, hey, I, I think she likes you, right? You, you should, you should, you know, all of this while he is sinful and perfect. He worked a nine to five job. And anyone that has a job, you're going to deal with people that are rude and inconsiderate, right? That want things on their timeline, that want things now, not your way, but their way. And so if there's any way that we could make sense of this, uh, Hollywood, I think, does it maybe a decent job of what this would be like and how outrageous it would be for God to become a man. They maybe depict this well with the story of Superman. If you remember this story, you've seen a movie recently about him, is that he came from a different planet and lived on Earth, but he had all of these superpowers, right? He can fly. He has super strength. He has x-ray vision. There's these like weird red beams that shoot out of his eye when he gets really angry, which is cool, I guess, right? Superman, a superhero who lived among the people, and he worked a normal job at the Daily Planet. He was a journalist. And what I think is interesting is anytime a, a comic book or a movie or a show depicts Superman as he's working, they show him to be terrible at his job. Right? Like people make fun of him and push him around like he's not as good as the other people, but he's working a normal, ordinary job all while he's Superman, right? Where he could just throw the whole building out of the way because he has super strength. This is how outrageous, in maybe a very small sense, it would be for God to become a man and to live among the people, to deal with the issues that we deal with. Not only was he a man, the scripture says he was a servant. He went lower. Jesus didn't call others to bow before him or rule with a dictator-like authority, but he took the humble position of a servant. He was focused on the needs of others. And so Jesus, he spent time with the worst of worse. He hung out with sinners. He washed people's dirty feet. He was right next to those that were sick. And so scripture shows moments and moments over and over where, where we see that Jesus was moved to places where maybe he would be uncomfortable or his time was compromised. There's a moment uh, in the Gospels, you probably remember the story, 
where Jesus um, is kind of gathered with some people and these parents bring their children to Jesus. And the disciples catch them before they get to Jesus. And they say, hey, hey, don't bother the son of God with these children. Don't, don't do that. This, like, he's, he's over here. He's investing in these people. These are children. They can wait until they're older. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Bring the children to me. I'm here for them. There's another moment where Jesus is preaching. He's teaching. And out of the ceiling comes this man's body that is lowered down by some friends. And you could think, like, he has all of the right in this moment for Jesus to stop his preaching and say, how dare you? How dare you interrupt me? This is my assistant. You can make an appointment in our church offices next week, right? Like, come back later. But in that moment, Jesus is focused on the need of that person. The leper comes to him. The woman in adultery, right? Over and over, Jesus was focused on the needs of the other people in front of him. More than anyone else, he made the most of his time on earth. His mindset was, I am here to give, not to get. I'm here to serve, not to be served. And so I wonder, what is our attitude like? Is your attitude, I'm here to be served, or I'm here to serve? So you can think about it like this. If you were kind of to look and describe your life, would it look like you feed up on the couch you got the TV on. Hey, what time is dinner going to be ready? Are the clothes ironed? Hey, will you bring me a, a nice glass of tea? Right? Like everything is about you. Like me, me, me. Or is your mindset more of one like a soldier? Like you are, your feet aren't raised up. You're standing and you're ready for action. You're, you're ready to move quickly to care for someone's need. What would you say your mindset or attitude is? What is your life normally resemble. Uh, Pastor David mentioned this in the video, but I have a two-month-old daughter. It's our first child. She turns 10 weeks tomorrow, and it has been a roller coaster of so many different emotions. And I, I realized, and it took, I think, a moment of my daughter having a constant need, right? She constantly needs to be held. And there's, like, if you're not super careful and don't know exactly how to place her down into her bed, she is going to scream her head off until someone holds her again. She seems to be, needs to be fed all the time. It's like every three hours. And sometimes if she's not cool with that, it's every two hours, right? She needs to be comforted. She spits up every once in a while and you've got to clean her mouth out and care for her. It took having a child, which my wife does so much of that and caring for her, but it took, I think for me, having a child for God to wake me up to the life that I was living. That in like the first couple hours, <laughs> I realized how selfish I was, how prideful, how self-centered I was, that my life was so focused on me. And what I wanted to do, and I've been like, as I process this and spent time with the Lord, I've realized that I would kind of like avoid certain situations for I wouldn't have to care for people, for I wouldn't have to serve them because I'd, I'd given my time. I work for a church, right? Like I had done my duty that day. 
And so I would avoid certain things. And it took having a child that is constantly in need. Like she can't, I didn't know this before having a baby, but she can't even hold her own head up without someone else's support. It took all of that for God to wreck my heart and for me to realize, hey, this is the life that you're living. Your life is very self-centered. It's all about you. And so the only way this changes for any of us is the way that we could move from a self-centered, prideful, selfish life and to move to a servant-hearted life, I think is really two things. It's recognition and prayer. And so the first thing you have to recognize how you are living. What's your attitude? What's your mindset? How are you giving your time? Like just to spend maybe a moment evaluating your life. Where are we giving our money to? Our energy, our resources. To recognize that and most likely for many of us, there's going to be some pride in there, some self-centeredness. And that we would begin to pray with the work of God, those things out of our life. And so what transformed my life, and God is still working on me in many ways, but is to pray these verses. And I would encourage you to do the same thing. That you would pray, God, would you help me today to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit? God, would you help me today to seek the interest of others before myself? God, would you help me to care for my spouse, my family, my coworkers, my neighbor, the homeless person, the random person I walk by in the grocery store? Would you help me to focus on their needs? And to pray, God, I don't have the energy to do this today. To be honest with him and to, and to declare like, I don't want to do this, but I know you've called me to it. So would you give me the strength, the energy, the desire to do it? God, would you help me to serve others today? And would you give me the eyes to see opportunities to do that? Would I not be so blinded by my own life that I miss the people that you put right in front of me? God, I don't want to live that way. Jesus modeled for us the life that we should live. It's a life of selflessness, a life of humility. He lived with the mindset of I'm here to give rather than to get. His focus was always on those around him. And his mindset is ultimately for our good. One, because he modeled it, but most importantly, because he was willing to die. He was willing to give his life for you and for me at the sake of anything. Verse eight says this. It says, in being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our third point is that Jesus was obedient. Jesus was obedient. How did Jesus model a life of humility? He was obedient to the Father, right? It wasn't okay or good enough just for him to be a man and to serve some people and to do some good things. He had to die. He had to give his life. And the greatest act of humility and obedience was his willingness to go to the cross. And it wasn't just death, right? But I said, death by crucifixion. This was the cruelest form of capital punishment at that time. If you could think about that, they were like, what is the worst, most gruesome possible way that we could kill someone? It's this. 
It was really set aside for only slaves and foreigners. And it was a long and gruesome death. It wasn't quick. And so what would happen is they would hang someone's body on the cross. That person would have to lift up their lungs to breathe just to get a, a, just a glimpse of some kind of oxygen. Jesus willingly gave himself over to this. He willingly gave himself over to the suffering and torture of the cross. He could have stopped it at any moment. He knew he was stronger. He knew he had the power within him to, in an instant, stop all of it. But out of his love for us, Jesus was fully committed to the Father's plan. He was obedient. He paid for our life, our sins on the cross. And so church, hear me on this, is we cannot live a life of humility without a life of obedience. You cannot live a humble servant life without first being obedient to the Father. And so there's a pride and a selfishness that's in all of us to go our own way, to not trust God's plan. We teach our children in this church and our children's ministry from a young age that, hey, you are a sinner that is strayed away from God and you are going to go your own route without his help, without trusting your life to him. All of us are tempted to do that, but especially when life gets hard, especially when things don't go perfectly, is are we more likely to doubt him and to go against him? But Jesus modeled for us a lifestyle of being obedient of even when it gets tough even when it gets hard, even when it seems unbearable. That as the suffering and the persecution of the cross came his way, Jesus didn't run from it. He went towards it. He moved deeper. And so are we still willing to be obedient when life gets hard? Are you still willing to take a step forward? Because here's the truth. You might be good and okay with living a life of humility when things are going well. But when your day gets wrecked, right? When the, when the waiter takes way longer at lunch so you miss your next meeting, you miss what you were planning to do. When you're trying to get out of the parking lot and someone backs into your car. Or when you get really, really sick one day. What does your life look like then? And what, what that will tell you what your faith is in. What, what your trust is in. Are you willing to be obedient and trust him when life gets hard? To still be looking for other people. For me, when I get sick, you don't want to be around me. <laughs> I'm the worst person ever. I'm not a good patient, right? I got food poisoning a couple weeks ago, and I, I'm sure I was the worst person to be around, right? But the point of all of this is that all of us have a cap on how much we're willing to give. There, there's a limit of, hey, I, I'm willing to give this much time today. I'm willing to give this much money. I'm willing for my comfortable life to be, con- be inconvenienced in this way. But when life gets difficult, when suffering comes, wherever that limit is in your mind or in your head, it gets significantly lower, right? The willingness and your ability to give your life for others. But for Jesus, there was no limit. There was no limit for how far he would go to serve us and to show his love, even to the point of losing his life. And verse 9 says, therefore, which is because of Jesus' obedience, 
because of what he's done on the cross, his idea of servanthood that he modeled. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, excuse me, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to glory of God the Father. Fourth and final point this morning is that Jesus was exalted for his humility. Jesus was exalted for his humility. In the Greek, uh, the word exalted here means super exalted. It's like the highest form of exalted that you can think or imagine. And so even though that Jesus was brought low for a moment, God then exalted him. He brought him back to the place that he belonged. And scripture says it's a name above every name. A name that every knee will bow to. In the end, Jesus wins. Right? He's the greatest of all time. And I love what Colossians 1, 15 through 20 says. If you'll just let this scripture soak into your heart. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, and that everything he might be preeminent. For in him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The one who went low, the one who became a servant, the one who died, he eventually was the greatest. God exalted him, placed him in the highest seat because of his obedience to the Father. And scripture says there will come a day where all people, not just some, right? It says every knee, every tongue, all people will recognize that he is God, that he is Lord. And for believers, this will be the greatest day of our life. And for unbelievers, this will be the worst. This will be a moment of despair and regret of they're going to realize of what they're missing out on and what they will miss out on for the rest of their life of being with God forever and never. And so the scripture speaks to those who follow in humility, those that have trusted in Christ and would model the life of Jesus, they will be exalted, right? It says, scripture uh, speaks to that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so this scripture concludes with a great promise to anyone that would model the life of Christ that they too will be exalted and follow after him. I'll close with this as we wrap up this morning. In the second and third century, what happened in the Roman Empire was there became a plague of epidemics that began to hit this group of people. And as these plagues hit, you can think of it very similar to what happened here with COVID. The great difference was the centuries and where they were in time, as they had no advancements in medicine, they had no technology. Even before the virus would hit, they had no idea what 
bacteria and a virus even was. They were uh, like basically helpless as this would hit. And so what happened in the Roman Empire is when a virus would move to a certain city, everyone there would get up and leave. Even doctors would leave sick families, the helpless, by themselves because doctors knew there was nothing they could do and they didn't want to get sick either. But Christians, these early believers of Christ, they stayed. And they would go into the homes of those that were sick and begin to care for them. They would care for their needs. And many of them would also get sick because they were in direct contact with these other people. And countless of them would die and give their life. Who lives like that? Why would anyone give their life for the sake of someone else? What was rooted in the hearts of these believers is they wanted to model the life of their Savior. They said the one who went low for us, that went all the way to the point of death, I'm going to model his life. And for us to begin to live out the mindset that's called to all of us as believers in Philippians 2, is we have to begin to walk with Christ. That we have to be submitted to him. That it's a day by day walk with him. All of us are on a track. We are bent towards a life of selfishness. We are bent towards a life of pride and about me, me, me. The only way that changes is that we would begin to submit to God. And to say, God, would you change what's in my heart for I can look more like you? Would you help me become the person that you want me to be and have called me to be? The beautiful thing, what happened really for the movement of Christianity to explode was other people began to watch these believers. And as they watched them care for the sick, the helpless, the homeless, they would put the needs of others before their own other people began to say, I want to be a part of that. That whatever they're living for, I want to join them. That this is different than anything I've ever seen. How could anyone live this way is that they were submitted to the life of Jesus. And from that moment, Christianity exploded. Because people began to model the life of Jesus. A life of humility. And that's the call for all of us. That that could happen here too. Christianity could once explode in this area if we would submit to the life of the Father and model his life. And so I'm going to pray in a moment and we're going to have a time response. There'll be some pastors here at the front. And for those of us that are believers, what are the steps that you could take to live a life of your Savior? I believe and trust that many of you in this room are trying to do that. You're pursuing him. You're walking with him. You want to live the life that he's called you to. But maybe what's getting in the way? What, what are the things that you're holding tightly to that you're saying, me, 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 that's keeping you from focusing on them, 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 that's holding you back? For some of you this morning, you need to join this church body and become a member here. We'd love to talk to you down here at the front when you respond. There, one of the greatest things you could do is to join a church and be a part of this community. It's changed my life, and I believe it would change yours too. For some, you need to do, as those two ladies did earlier, that you need to Declare your faith publicly in baptism, right? And to become a member of this place. And for some, I, I hope 
that this scripture would wake you up. That you haven't trusted in Jesus and that you realize, hey, one day there's going to be a day that all people will acknowledge. And I don't want it to be too late for you. This morning, you could trust in the ultimate servant, the one who gave his life for you. You could do that this morning. What's keeping you from trusting in him, from giving your life to follow after him? Would y'all stand with me? I'm going to pray and we'll respond to him in song. Jesus, we love you. And we're grateful for these few moments to study your scripture. And God, one of the most powerful ones that I believe that's in this book that you've given to us that displays the life of your son who became a man, emptied himself, becoming a servant, and eventually would give his life for us. And God, I pray if there's anyone in here that hasn't trusted in him as their Lord and Savior, that they would do that this morning. They would come and talk to one of these pastors at the front. God, for those of us that are trusted in you and walking with you, would you help us to live a life that looks more like you? God, my heart and my prayer is that you would use these believers in the room to help other people see you. That the way that we would live would cause other people to recognize your love for them. God, we love you and we respond to you now in song. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You move and however the Lord leads. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.